This is Geeks and Jacks. And welcome back to Geeks and Jacks. This is a bonus episode. We to hold people over a little bit until the new season begins sometime in September. This is bonus episode 8. For those wondering what this is, it's a podcast focusing on film, TV, sports, gaming, and whatever is on my mind. Recording on August 17th, 2023, this is Ryan Silver, glad to have you here. Before getting to this episode, this is on podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find this on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So I don't down those places, search for Geeks and Jacks, plenty of Definitely going to be talking some Disney a little bit. Talk about mo- movies lately. When I talk about when I want to talk about Disney, I'm going to talk about potentially what's going on with their TV divisions and all that. Talk about a couple of stealth releases uh, for gaming. Talk about a couple sports-related stuff particularly with NFL coming back, and, you know, what else, you know, is on my mind. So, let's jump straight down to the movies. <laughs> Heading to boxofficemojo.com. It has been an interesting month. Because it's the same two films from almost a month ago, still dominating the movie theaters. So I'll begin with number one, and it's been number one for now the past four weekends, and that is Barbie. $33.8 million, but its numbers overall, $537.3 million domestic, Six hundred sixty point six internationally is made almost one point two billion dollars with the numbers as current as Tuesday the fifteenth. It is unbelievable how big this is, and I think what helps is that it's live action reimagining of Barbie based on the toys and you know and all these to- these dolls and really multiple generations gearing up for it which is probably why it has been a worldwide phenomenon for almost a month it's crazy hugely crazy <laughs> now this ain't the type of film I would be interested in I mean if I had a daughter or a girlfriend who was into that stuff, I probably would wind up being forced to watch it. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, it, it's crazy how, I don't know if this will be number one for this upcoming weekend, but I'll be surprised if it does. Number two, Oppenheimer, 18.8 million. And this has been huge for Universal. 270 domestic, 
and 383.9 internationally for almost 654 million worldwide. The whole Barbenheimer thing, you know, people going out to see these films, I mean, it it's a big effect, especially with the writer's strike going on, the actor's strike, and a couple other things going on in Hollywood. This is probably the big hurrah and really the huge shot in the arm considering these aren't comic book films, these aren't sequels, these aren't reboots, remakes, or anything of that nature. They're just films that finally had a chance to shine. And to do that in the summer is pretty amazing. And I'm willing to bet Universal wants to hold on to Christopher Nolan. No doubt. They'll probably want him for the type of films that he makes. So number three. This actually had a jump up from number four to number three in its opening weekend. But still. uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. 15.2 million. This has a $70 million budget. I had a look at that a while ago. Prior to looking at the numbers last week over what it was going to do. It made almost $30 million, uh, last weekend. Its totals right now, 76.8 domestic, 23.1 internationally. It literally just eclipsed $100 million. So, this could be a film that probably makes a small amount of profit. I'm just guessing. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is one of those franchises you're not sure if it's going to be a surefire hit or if it'll flop. So, the next one at number four, Meg 2, The Trench. That, I think it's that shark movie. Jason Statham's in it. That made about $12.8 million, and that's the last of the double-digit million figures. 57.6 domestic, but 204 internationally. Worldwide, $261 million. I gotta look at its budget. I can't imagine it being, being cheap. I'll be surprised at $129 million. So, this movie's not, I don't know, it's not a flop, but it's not a hit either. $129 million. That's, probably still needs to make Another hundred million, if I had to guess, to to have any sort of looking at for for profits. Number five is a brand new film, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, or Demeter. Six point five million. Crew sailing from Carpathia. Carpathia. Is this supposed... Is that the ship that tried to get the Titanic? 
So far, it's only made 7.9 million. It's a horror movie. I gotta look that up. Carpathia Ship. Let's take a look. In service for a long time, 1903 to 19... Yep, I believe this was the one that tried to... Yep, tried to save the Titanic. Sunk in 1918 on last bits of that war. Lost to a submarine. I want to look for... See if there's like. Hmm. Maybe it's like an altered type thing. I don't know. Weird. I don't know. I just hate finding it interesting. But. Speaking of horror, number six Haunted Mansion, 5.7 million. This came out a week after Barbie and Oppenheimer and this is another Disney disaster this summer and for the year. Its numbers as it stands right now, 54.7 domestic, 22.9 internationally, it is at 77.7 million dollars. And this is part of why I'm going to talk about Disney is it, it, it this is disastrous. Now the O three movie with Eddie Murphy. I had a look to see what the numbers were for that movie. Ninety million dollar budget back in O three, and it came out after Halloween. So I don't know how Disney messed this up. This is the type of film that, when I think about it a little bit, I think about the fact that they probably didn't expect. Barbie and Oppenheimer to really have that huge of an impact. Now, would that have saved this movie, though? Probably not. I don't think this would have saved Haunted Mansion. I think people are simply tired of Disney. And this is another movie that has a huge price tag on it just over $150 million and definitely a fair share of advertising so this probably needed to make anywhere from 400 to $500 million. I don't know whoever was in charge of scheduling this movie uh, they screwed up royally I'm not sure it would have helped but I mean not to mention there's not really big names in the sense of like they can carry a movie I mean there's Rosario Dawson, Danny DeVito Tiffany Haddish and Owen Wilson and I forget who the other guy is but they're not big names or at least compared to where they were maybe Haddish could be your big name but I mean Danny DeVito is in his 70s Wilson is definitely past his prime. Not saying he's a bad actor, but he's not leading a movie like he was 20 years ago. 
And Dawson, I mean, I'm not sure she has that big of credibility, at least for to lead a movie now these days. Maybe long ago, sure, but... Number seven, Talk to Me. That horror movie that's been out for a while. It's actually doing pretty decent. 5.1 million over the weekend. And from what I understand, there's plans to do a sequel. I'm assuming this was filmed on the cheap, like a lot of horror movies. 31.3 domestic and 7.3 internationally, nearing 40 million. This is from A24, which I believe they specialize in smaller produced films. Especially some of these. I think they've been involved in a few of these horror movies that have done pretty well. Number 8, Sound of Freedom. 4.8 million. So far, no international release, but it has made altogether 174 million and there was something going on like one of the people that funded the real life stuff or something I forget but the the film is I I can't believe it's made that much number 9 Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 4.6 4.6 million. It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't think anyone... It's similar to the Haunted Mansion t- situation. It had a pretty good-sized drop the following weekend after coming out the week prior, and then Barbie and Oppenheimer obliterating the competition. So... Its numbers are pretty bleak overall. 160.8 domestic, 362.9 internationally. It's made 523.7 million worldwide. I think Paramount, I don't know if they'll have any doubts on Part 2, but as a whole... They can't be. They can't be too pleased. But I think, like I'm saying, with Haunted Mansion, they probably didn't anticipate it to do that. Their competition to be that strong. But I digress. And number ten, big drop between number nine and ten. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, nine hundred twenty-one thousand dollars. And this might have the potential of not even reaching Raiders of the Lost Ark's total box office gross from 81. 172.9 domestic, 202.3 internationally, 375.3 million dollars. And there's a lot of panic, I think, going on with with Disney. There's a lot of panic because you have Haunted Mansion, which is doing really horribly right now. Indy, which no doubt is going to cost them a couple hundred million. 
their lucky elemental has done better than expected at 444 million worldwide, but that's still not a hit considering the $200 million budget and the marketing going to it. They heavily marketed it. Little Mermaid, if it made any profit, it was so minuscule. And the only surefire thing they had was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So here's the films coming out for this upcoming weekend. There's a couple concert-type stuff uh, from today and yesterday. But for wide releases, back on the strip. So I'm going to take a brief look for a second. Okay, I think this is a comedy one that's I've seen a lot of advertising for is Strays, the dog film, R-rated dog film, by the way. Will Ferrell, Jamie Foxx, and a few others voicing dogs. Please don't destroy the treasure of Foggy Mountain. Uh, R-rated comedy. Fine gold treasure. Is this supposed to be something like a without a paddle type thing? And Blue Beetle, which is a comic book. And no doubt, I think this is from DC. Yep, Warner. So I have no doubt this is probably going to be a failure. Disney, not Disney, Warner Brothers has screwed up so badly with all this DC comic stuff. I'm not sure if James Gunn can save it all. Other limited releases include <laughs> Aliens Abducted My Parents and Now I Feel Left Out. Okay, is this supposed to be like a mocking type of sci-fi comedy? Looks pretty cheap. <laughs> Flash Nietzsche, Dark Windows, Landscape of an Invisible Hand, Madeline Collins, Haunting of the Queen Mary, Birth Slash Rebirth, The Adults, and The Moon. There's a UFC fight going on this following Saturday. Porco Rosso, The Wind Rises, and Fathom First Goldie. Not a lot coming out the following weekend. Two big releases. The Hill, which is a... <laughs> this ought to be an interesting film. Remarkable true life story of Ricky Hill's improbable journey to play. Okay, it's a drama. With Dennis Quaid and Colin Ford. That ought to be interesting. I mean, Quaid has done a baseball film, The Rookie. That was actually, that was actually a pretty good film. And Gran Turismo, the drama based on the based on the game series, like some source story that happened long ago. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if that will fare well. This was supposed to come out a couple weeks ago, but now coming out next week. Yeah. So, I'm going to talk briefly on another thing before getting into Disney. And this is something that I'm pretty sure it probably has a sentiment that is sent to other filmmakers and all that. And that is, there was a thing recently that happened. I think it might have had, I think it had something to do with Back to the Future or something with like sci-fi. And one of its writers, Bob Gale, was asked about a part four or a reboot. And basically along the lines of saying he will protect his IP no matter how how much. And I think it echoed something similar to what his co-writer and the director of the trilogy, Robert Zemeckis, said, I think, long ago about trying to protect the IP. There has been talks for at least over a decade to do a Back to the Future remake. I remember this had to have been about 2011, 2012. One of the ideas was Justin Bieber to be the lead for the remake. And I think it was, just, I think it was the case of trying to get the hottest name on there without any real acting talent or anything like that. And, th- I mean, thankfully, the film never got made. And so, this this film, this film, I mean, w- will probably never get made. And if it does, it probably won't happen for another... 20 to 30 years but there's still these attempts to try to remake or do sequels to to these 80s movies there is still this hard on love affair that people have with with 80s movies like, one of the biggest networks, well, for cable at least, one of the cable networks to to still have this obsession with 80s movies is AMC Network. And they'll, they'll air mostly, like, teen stuff, you know, some John Hughes... Not a lot of other stuff. I mean, they'll they'll air some modern stuff here and there in some 90s. Recently, they just aired uh, Speed, which is a pretty good film, by the way. But they... They want people to get into these 80s films. And there's not a lot of companies, or networks to be exact, that I think are willing to go out of their way and air 80s films. And if they do, it's the same stuff. It's 
Indiana Jones, it's Top Gun, it's Footloose, Back to the Future. And these aren't exactly the type of films that they are going to get you your ratings compared to, say, getting, I don't know, Central Intelligence or La La Land or something like the comic book films that have been out the last 15 or so years. If anything, you see it with, with I think, like TNT, TBS, FX especially. FX is in a weird spot because recently they've been airing some 90s stuff. They've aired, like, The Rock with Sean Connery, uh, Con Air. Both of those movies actually have Nick Cage in them. But they have been putting on this obsession of airing strictly... Marvel. Like a lot of the early Marvel stuff. Like Iron Man, Thor, the first couple Captain America films. Really the entire Iron Man trilogy, if I'm being honest. Maybe Guardians and a couple other modern stuff. But, as a whole, just going back to what I was saying with there is still this love affair with 80s films. There is still a huge love affair with them. But I think it's dwindling down a little bit, especially with how fractured Cable is. And these networks probably will try to find what fits within what they have and try to air as much as they can of certain certain projects and whatnot. Now, with that being said, I'm going to go to Disney, and this is going to connect to both TV and film, and a little bit of of sports into that equation. Disney is in rough shape right now. They are having probably one of their worst summers in a very, very long time. And really one of their worst years for films. A lot of their Disney Plus stuff's getting canned. A lot of criticism towards the amount of Star Wars and Marvel content. You've got a, a summer where you've had three flops. One that one of which could be considered even, but that's hard to guess. One hit, and just for the year, your only big hit being Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Not to mention the amount of layoffs going on, but none more affected than ESPN. And this is something I completely forgot to talk about last month. And I'm going to look for, yeah, sporting news. Like, the amount of people they got rid of. A lot of, like, 20 on-air personalities. Like, it's crazy how many they're getting rid of. So, from their list. So, let's see. Gene Washi. Washiowski, 
So he was a guy that worked on college game day. So one of their big college football type stuff, journalism stuff. Boxing analyst Andre Ward. I know they have like a big thing with boxing here and there in the UFC, but yeah. Not renewing Doug Kazarian, betting analyst, NBA reporter Nick Friedel. And this is from the Sporting News. The Sporting News, excuse me. One of those guys that covered a number of Bulls and Warriors stuff, Chicago and Golden State. College game day analyst David Pollock. That's pretty surprising. Been there for a long time. Jordan Cornett, a college football and basketball studio host. After six years. One of the biggest ones, Todd McShay. One of their big college football type guys. I wouldn't be surprised if he was part of the NFL draft stuff. Matt Hasselbeck, who's part of NFL Countdown. Vince Carter, NBA analyst. Steve Young for NFL analyst. But probably one of the biggest ones, along with McShay, Susie Colbert. Yeah, that one was pretty shocking because she's been there for such a long time. Going back to ESPN2 with others like Stuart Scott, Jim Rome, and a few others, like they helped build ESPN2 into you know a modern type of channel for what was modern in '93. When I say like young for twenty plus years, Colbert for twenty plus years, it's a shame. Ashley Brewer, who was one of the ESPN anchors, baseball writer, television contributor, June Lee, J O O N. Two names they considered not a huge surprise: Keyshawn Johnson, Max Kellerman. I'm kind of glad Kellerman's gone. No joke. Lafonso Ellis, college basketball analyst. Two others at the time. Jeff Van Gundy, longtime analyst for NBA games. Studio analyst Jalen Rose. Good riddance, in my opinion. Just trying to think, because at the start... Oh, there's more. Rob Ninkovich... Analyst, NFL analyst. Yeah, canceled their morning radio show that had Keyshawn Johnson, Jay Williams, and Kellerman. Neil Everett from... It's going backwards, actually. My apologies on that. Chris Chelios. Or Kellios. And this is from, at the end of July, Mark Jackson... And this is part of something that's going on to cut $5.5 billion. And this was from an article talked about in February by the New York Times. Cut costs by $5.5 billion globally, including the elimination of 7,000 jobs. A lot of things 
going on with Disney. A lot of stuff. But one of the bigger things, I mean, it impacts both their NFL and NBA packages, which is ironic because these are their cash cows, especially the NBA. I think a lot of people will miss Van Gundy and Jackson. I think a lot of people are going to miss, you know, Young and especially Colbert. There was always this itching. I've, I've read some articles. The idea of Jeff Van Gundy maybe wanting to coach again. I'm not sure he'd fit in as a coach now these days compared to when he was coaching the Knicks in the 90s and the Rockets during the mid-2000s. I mean, he had Yao Ming, of all people, one of the few people, one of the few players to, to really go very well against Shaquille O'Neal. But one of the bigger things is that they're going to do a different group alongside Mike Breen. So they're bringing in Doc Rivers to be part of their number one crew and their sideline slash second analyst group person, Doris Burke. I'm not sure if Doc will be capable of fitting in for for this group. I mean, it's a whole different ball game from what he was doing long ago, calling games with people like Vern Lundquist many years ago. So let's see what we got. The second crew, Ryan Rucco, J.J. Redick, and Richard Jefferson. NBA Sunday Showcase Games. I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is going to work the way they think. I mean, sure, Rivers could have the type of analyst type stuff that could fit in based on the coaching experiences he has had for such a long time going back to his days coaching the Celtics, the Clippers, and the Sixers, but will it translate to good broadcasting? And I think a lot of people will not be pleased with Burke, even if she is big amongst the league itself. I do think she has a little bit of uptick, though, being a part of the sport for such a long time, unlike, say, Jessica Mendoza, who was a complete moron when she was part of the Sunday Night Baseball crew. I would think Burke would have some decent knowledge and cover basketball elegantly compared to Mendoza when she was doing it for MLB. But I don't think a lot of people are going to be pleased, and I think a lot of people are going to be praying for for Mike Breen. <laughs> but that's just you know the tip of the iceberg on what could potentially happen with Disney. A lot of people panicking 
on the whole situation with what could potentially occur with their with their TV channels. Lots, some stuff on like, oh, they're going to sell ABC. There is no way. There's no way they're selling ABC. They still have some big names and some of their stuff still is getting them Emmys and all that. There is no way along with some of their longtime produced stuff that they are going to be sold anytime soon. I could see ESPN maybe being sold off, but depending on how things go and if their sports stuff and their personalities along with the with reducing costs do well, I, I could could I see ESPN being given up maybe, but it's it's hard to really tell. It's hard to really tell. I could see them giving up on Freeform. I could easily see them giving up on Freeform. They used to be... Freeform used to be something else long ago. And what I mean by that is, I mean, it... It wasn't clinging on to... Like, specific shows. Like, they would at least try to air some movies on weekdays. They would try to air original shows as well. I feel like that faded away at the end of the decade in the 2010s. And now these days, it's basically some episodes of Simpsons, Blackish, Spamming of the Office, if they don't have movies going on. They dedicate Fridays to Family Guy and whatever films they could find to air on the weekends for the most part. I mean, they'll air some movies on weekdays, but not to the same level where it was even a few years ago. I can't imagine Freeform being on for that much longer, if I'm being honest, or being held by Disney for much longer. Trying to think of like other. I don't see them selling FX or FXX, which, funny enough, in a few weeks, FXX will turn 10, which is hard to believe. That channel has changed a lot. And it is primarily a focus on a lot of Fox's big name cartoons. From over the last 30 years. Including Simpsons. Which they've had for a long time. I can't wait to talk about that a little bit. Because. In a few months. It'll mark 10 years since. FX got the rights. To air the Simpsons. Which was a huge deal. Not, not as huge a deal now these days. But. To have the Simpsons on cable. That was a big deal. And not to mention getting Family Guy a few years ago. Because it, it's strange to think about that. TBS is still doing okay, but they're in the midst of airing basically four seasons worth of Friends in a week. And just airing mostly The Big Bang Theory and Young Sheldon. 
when they're not airing anything else. But it's hard to think of a time now these days where you you don't have Family Guy on TBS or Adult Swim. I'm trying to think what else. They have Bob's Burgers on FXX, King of the Hill, Futurama, Archer. They don't really air a lot of live action stuff. The exception being some movies and a couple original shows. It's sad, in my opinion, that It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is still stuck on FXX. Meanwhile, they get these like weird, absurdist type shows like the bear attention on FX. It always struck me weird that Always Sunny, you know, despite being a part of their lineup for such a long time, gets shoved to the side while they air some other, some weirder, effed up shows that can't even survive three, four years on the air. And Always Sunny is still going. You know, that's the way, that's the way I look at it, in my opinion. But, I digress. But as a whole, Disney is definitely going to be here to stay. They are definitely going to stick around for a long time until it stops becoming profitable. The only thing I could think of for being, if I had to guess, sellable, probably Freeform. I could see another network holding on to it. At least that's how I see it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You got sports. Football coming up pretty soon. You got NBA playing tournament stuff being scheduled. A couple bad injuries right now for... For Tennessee Titans and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Russell Gage... Season-ending injury. I think his name is Traylon Burks. Carted off a leg injury, so that don't help. A couple players with Achilles injuries ending their seasons already, including Arizona Cardinal back Marlon Mack. A lot of questions on the signings now of Ezekiel Elliott to the New England Patriots. Dalvin Cook. To the New York Jets. I think we're going to see uh, the East divisions for both the AFC and NFC be so competitive this year. It's unbelievable how this year might be. And the AFC East and the NFC East face each other this year. So I think we're in for a huge, huge treat. Especially with some of these night games between each other. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Keep your eye, in terms of baseball, keep your eye on Shohei Otani. Just recently he hit his 42nd home run of the year. It is crazy what he's doing. I think there's people wondering if he can break last year's home run record in the American League with what Aaron Judge did last year. 
I think he's cooling off a little bit, but to, to see him hit 50 would be very impressive for for a Japanese-born player and really for the Angels. No Angel has ever done 50 home runs in a season. I think their best might have been... What have it been from someone like Troy Glaus or Mike Trout? I'm actually pretty curious. Who has... Who has... Ah, phone not working. <laughs> no internet. <laughs> uh, probably, probably someone like... Probably Trout if I had to guess. I mean, he's their big home run guy. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero was pretty good as a home run guy, but I'm not sure if he ever reached 48. The only reason I was thinking Glaus was because he was one of their big home run guys as well, I felt, but maybe I'm wrong. Another guy to keep in mind a little bit also is Matt Olson. The way things are in the National League, I'm not sure if they would count 63 home runs as the record considering what was happening in the late 90s with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and then 01 with with Barry Bonds. I'd imagine the fans and teams will look at these records and probably disregard them to some extent. It'd be interesting to see at some point and if these are done after McGuire, Sosa, and Bonds are dead. That, to me, is going to be the big question for the, for a, a league like the National League. And, of course, we can't talk baseball without mentioning Angel Hernandez. Missed quite a bit of calls a couple weeks ago. I I don't know what else you can really say. I mean, that hasn't been said already regarding potentially the worst umpire in all of of baseball, and really one of the worst offici officials in all of sports. I don't know how this guy still has a job. And this is a guy that messed up royally five years ago in a playoff game to where he didn't become a part of the playoffs after the division series. This guy keeps complaining about being off these World Series teams because he's Cuban when that's not the case. When you have the notoriety, people will remember your full name if you're a referee or an umpire. There's no doubt about that. And if he were to mess up so badly in a World Series game, I'm not sure there'd be riots, but there'd be a lot of frustrated fans, not just for one side that got screwed over, but the entire nation because of how awful Angel Hernandez is. So, yeah. 
What else can I say? And the other thing, looking at NASCAR, pretty briefly, because we have... Oh, man, just let me get online. Oops, hold on a second. Because NASCAR recently had their Indianapolis race, Indy Road Course. So, yeah, Michael McDowell punching his ticket into the playoffs. Top 10 as follows. Chase Elliott, second. Daniel Suarez, third. Tyler Reddick, fourth. Alex Bowman, fifth. Chase Briscoe, sixth. Martin Truex, seventh. Kyle Larson, eighth. Christopher Bell, ninth. And some Van Gisbergen guy at tenth. Other guys as follows. Chris Buescher, eleventh. Ty Gibbs, twelfth. Ryan Blaney, thirteenth. William Byron, fourteenth. Austin Cindric, fifteenth. Austin Dillon, sixteenth. Ross Chastain, 17th. Bubba Wallace, 18th. Denny Hamlin, 19th. Brad Keselowski, 20th. Harrison Burton, 21st. Kevin Harvick, 23rd. Ricky Stenhouse, 25th. A.J. Allmendinger, 26th. Trying to look for other... Joey Logano, 34th. Eric Jones, 35th. Kyle Busch, 36th. Ty Gillen, 37th. And Eric Almirola, dead last at 39th place. I believe that was the last race prior to the playoffs. So we're going to look at the standings. So these are the guys that are part of the group of 16. So here we go. Martin Truex first in the standings. Denny Hamlin second, William Byron third, Chris Bell fourth, Kyle Larson fifth, Kevin Harvick sixth, Ross Chastain seventh, Brad Keselowski eighth, so that's pretty good after a disappointing year last year, Ryan Blaney ninth, Chris Buescher tenth, Kyle Busch eleventh, Ty Reddick twelfth, uh, Joey Logano thirteenth, Bob Wallace fourteenth, Michael McDowell fifteenth, and Ricky Stenhouse, 16th. I think this upcoming race at Watkins Glen begins the playoffs. I just want to ask our playoffs begin. Or is it a little while later? I'm I'm confused. I'm Okay, 10 race playoffs begin on September 3rd. But I thought it was around this time. Shows how behind I am at times looking at NASCAR. <laughs> With that said though, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And lastly, just a little brief talk about few things. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 coming out in November. I'm kind of surprised you'd think maybe something else like set in the future or the Black Ops games. But, yeah. 
going to be coming out for PS4 and Xbox One along with the current releases. It's kind of surprising, but hey, keep feeding the hot hand towards the people that have been playing the games for 10 years on the last generation of systems. You know? Red Dead Redemption. So this is coming out today. This was announced not too long ago this month. Coming out for the PlayStation 4 and the Nintendo Switch. Supposed to have some graphical enhancements, but is otherwise a straight port with the Undead Nightmare uh, add-on. And no multiplayer, which... Can't say I'm surprised. I mean, multiplayer was like a big deal back when uh, Red Dead was coming out. Everybody was trying to put in their own form of multiplayer, but I think we've reached we reached a point where companies are more willing to do single player and multiplayer is a bit of an afterthought. If they do do it, fine, but I think the single player experience is what a lot of people want. And if there is multiplayer, I mean, why not do some split screen? I think that's what a lot of people, a lot of gamers want. I mean, sure, there'll still be online. Online's not going away, but... For the big franchises that have the single player and big online experience. 50 bucks though for these games, it's a little high. I probably would have gone 40 but wait until maybe it drops to like 35 or something I don't I'm not gonna go out of my way to get it yet but there's still some other stuff other games I would want to play before playing playing through an enhanced version of the game and one that actually stealth released as well Quake 2 so this is a remaster of the original game from 1997 and prior to this coming out it was only on PC which you could still buy it was also on the original PlayStation and the Nintendo 64 now people can play the remastered version on PC they can play on the PlayStation line of systems the Xbox line of systems which is pretty nice considering people are kind of companies are kind of ditching the Xbox one a little bit like no joke there is a bit of almost like almost like a ghost town tiny bit but still some good support for the Xbox one also on the switch as well so it I mean it's nice to see you know, PlayStation get a little bit of love. And even, especially the Switch. I'd be curious to see what happens with Quake 3. Because Quake 3, I think that was multiplayer only. I might be wrong on that, but I feel like it was like B 
big multiplayer, in my opinion. I, I want to look at that for a minute. There's like three different things here. 1999, focus, yeah, multiplayer focused. So it excludes the single, yeah, I'm not sure if people will be happy about that. See where this came out on. Came out for okay, it did come out on PlayStation. Came out on PS2. This came out for Windows at the end of '99, Team Arena at the end of 2000, uh, Dreamcast at the end of 2000, oh, early 01 for the PS2, and this actually Arena Arcade. Okay. Is is the Quake name on there or something else? But probably okay. Bethesda did put it on there. Okay, I'm pretty pretty curious about it. Oh, four player cross platform play between Dreamcast and PC. They're one of the best PC to console ports on Dreamcast. That is, that's actually pretty good. I want to see about the 360 game, actually, if I'm being honest. Did this get delisted? Oh, it actually did come out uh, as compatibility. Backwards compatibility. I'm, I gotta try it out. I really do gotta try it out. But yeah, Quake 2 coming out recently. They did the same thing like they did with the uh, Doom games. And Stealth released them. I mean, people want to be surprised. And I mean, for Bethesda and Id to dig into their well. And bring forth you know some pretty important shooters for the 90s, I mean, I like it, you know. I, I like that, you know, they're bringing them to a modern audience, and I feel that Bethesda is trying to do something similar to what you see with, say, the amount of ports of, say, Pac-Man, Sonic the Hedgehog, Super Mario Brothers, because they were pretty important games for their time, and maybe there was some stuff... And plus, I heard about some original content being made for uh, Quake 2. So, it, similar to what the first Quake had for their remaster, from from the sounds of it. Can't wait to try it out at some point. $10 on all the platforms. Although, I do think you get the remaster upgrade if you did buy Quake 2 prior to the remaster coming out. So, pretty, yeah, pretty happy to see that happen. And this podcast on a pretty good note so about wrap it up here as i said before this podcast is on podcasters.spotify.com you can also find this on radio public and google Podcasts. so i don't down to those places search for geeks and jacks plenty of content awaits so that is bonus episode eight of geeks and jacks this is ryan sullivan hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast stay safe stay protected take care of yourself Take care, everyone.